Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 119, and we will be looking at the next to last section. We will conclude our examination of Psalm 119 next Sunday night. Uh, Tonight we are looking at Sheen, uh, uh, which is, as you probably know by now, the next to last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You know... There's a lot of people that have a lot of advice on how you can live your life. They tell you that you need to do this or that you need to do that or you don't need to do this or you don't need to do that. And they move on from one thing to another very quickly. There, there's no conviction. It's, it's very pragmatic although they're not thinking pragmatically it's just for them whatever is working now whatever makes me happy as christians we have been called to stand firm on the word of god unapologetically it doesn't mean that we're mean about it it doesn't mean that that you know that that we say things that that ought not be i was reading an article this afternoon and and a dear brother in Christ, he uh, obviously has a pretty major problem with the Catholic Church, okay? Uh, and, and I do too, but I choose not to phrase my words with, oh, I don't know, pagan, godless Catholic Church, okay? Because I understand that if a Catholic is listening, then I've just lost. They're, they're not going to hear anything else that I have to say. And, and, and so... It it doesn't mean that we're mean about the Word of God. It means that we have conviction in the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 161 through 168, in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood. But I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this evening. And God, we pray that as you illumine the heart and mind of the author of Psalm 119, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this evening as well. God, we pray that we would depart from this place with conviction in the word of God as we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, all around the world, we see persecution. We see persecution of believers. And and, and obviously, the, it, it may be beginning here in the United States, but we're not facing anything. And we certainly are not facing what we see, uh, especially in, in nations that are governed by Sharia law. Because it is now codified. It is the government's position that they will persecute not just Christianity, but any other religion that competes for their authority. 
we've seen throughout Psalm 119 that the psalmist is facing persecution. And, and we know that he's facing persecution from people uh, in, in, the, in the area, in the community, but he's also facing persecution from the authorities uh, by the government. And we see that, I mean, verse 161, princes persecute me without cause. They're coming after him. They are using the power of their position in the government to come after him. And so this man is suffering fierce persecution because of his faithfulness to the Word of God. You might have seen over the last couple of weeks the protests that are going on in Iran. And those protests are going on because the morality police, yes, there are, uh, there is a group in Iran known as the morality police. And they arrested a young woman, and she ended up dead. Uh, it, it would appear that they threw her out of a second-floor uh, window uh, to her death. Her offense was that she didn't have enough of her hair covered. She was wearing the hijab. She had her head covered, but some of her hair was not covered. And so they went after her. And, and that's what we see around the world in, in governments that will not tolerate anything that goes against what they believe. Iran sees the activity of the church as an attempt by Western countries to undermine Islam and the Islamic regime. House groups made up of of former Muslims are routinely persecuted in Iran. Their leaders and even the members are arrested, detained, and in many cases they're never heard from again for crimes against national security. What stands out in, in, in this man's next to last stanza in the longest chapter in all of the Bible is his absolute conviction in the Word of God. He is resting in the Word of God. He knows from firsthand experience. Listen, with what this man is going through, this is not just book knowledge, okay? This is not just book knowledge. This is knowledge that has been obtained by a man that has uh, endured persecution for what he believes, for the stands that he's making, and, and he has relied upon the Word of God. He's relied upon the commandments of God. He's relied on God to be there for him throughout this entire thing, and he has found God to be faithful and found God to, to be sure. Now, even though he faced the possibility of beatings and imprisonment or even execution, he was not afraid, verse 161. He rejoiced, verse 162. He praised God all day long, verse 164. He was at peace, verse 165, and he was filled with unshakable hope in verse 166. 
So what was it? What, what can this man teach us? Why did God have this man write this down to record it for future generations that we would learn how to behave when we are facing severe trials and severe crises? What sustained this man was his love for the Word of God, his confidence in it and his obedience to it. His optimistic spirit shines as an inspiration to all genuine believers throughout the centuries that are being persecuted by anyone in authority. And so when we are persecuted, we must stand fast against persecution and love God and His instructions. Verses 161 through 164. Even though high-ranking government officials were coming against them, this man was unmovable. He was not going to change his testimony. He was not going to stop obeying what God's Word told him he needed to do. He would not be intimidated, and he refused to back down from his convictions. The psalmist was being persecuted unjustly. And while he doesn't specify the punishment that he faced, back in verse 109, he stated that his life was in danger. However, it was not the ungodly official's wrath that struck fear in his heart. He trembled only at God's word. Although he was facing severe punishment, he was not intimidated, he wasn't depressed, he wasn't in despair. Instead, he rejoiced in God's Word. He, he compared himself to someone who had find or had found great treasure. I mean, if, if you were to go out in the spring to make a garden and you began digging and, and you heard the shovel or the, or the plow or the tiller hit something metal and you dug down and, and opened it up and you found... $100,000 buried in a box in your backyard. That'd make you pretty happy, wouldn't it? It'd make me pretty happy. Uh, it'd make me real happy. And that's what the psalmist is comparing God's Word to. He is rejoicing over God's Word and the promises of deliverance. Listen, beloved, here, here, here's the secret. We have to believe what God says in His Word. I mean, I know everyone in here is absolutely convinced of the truth and the validity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand and confess that better than, than we probably know our own name. We need to live that truth. We need to live that conviction out. Because as Paul said at the conclusions of Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what the psalmist did that's really important for us here is that he did not return evil for evil. Now, isn't that our tendency? Man, somebody does something bad to, to us, it is on, all right? 
and, and we will make them rue the day that they ever chose to mess with us. And when he appeared before the judges, don't you imagine that he wanted to, to unleash on these guys? But instead, he stood firmly on God's word, and he refused to lie and bear false witness. When Luther was summoned before the Diet of Worms in 1521, he was commanded to repudiate his writings. He stood alone with his conscience against powerful clergy and statesmen, and he said, unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils because they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So help me, God. Amen. And that has to be our conviction, beloved. It has to be our conviction that the Word of God is absolutely true, that the Word of God is absolutely right, that the Word of God is the only way that we're going to find and live out righteousness in our own lives. Now, he said that he praised God seven times a day. And, and I'm okay if, if the guy had seven times a prayer, okay? But he probably, that's probably not what he was saying. We understand that in Hebrew thought, seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness because uh, the earth was created in six days. God rested on the seventh, and then the cycle began. And so what the psalmist is doing is, is what Paul will later tell us to do, and that is to pray without ceasing, to pray about everything. You know, listen. You know how many times God has saved me from making a situation a whole lot worse than it already was? <laughs> okay? That somebody would say something and, and I'd just, I'd open my mouth to reply and, and God would say, shut that mouth, Larry. And I would pray about that thing for a second and say, God, would you give me wisdom to not make this thing worse than it already is? Give me wisdom. And did you notice this morning... I mean, wasn't that a blessing in what our brother read for us this morning when, when, when God came to Solomon? And Solomon could have asked for a whole lot of things, couldn't he? He could have asked for power. He could have asked for money. He could have asked for, you know, anything. But Solomon understood that to be the man that he needed to be, he had to fill some awful big shoes. He had to fill the shoes of his daddy David. And things that already we saw that his, his brother had tried to usurp the throne. And, and he'd had to put down that rebellion. And so when God comes to him and says, Solomon, what do you want? And so Solomon says, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. To discern between good and evil. And did you see what God did? Now, listen, I don't think Solomon was doing this because he was, he was kind of treading on God's grace. 
But God said, Solomon, you know what? You asked for, for wisdom. You didn't ask for riches, and you didn't ask for power, but you could have. So i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you asked for, but I'm going to add in some riches uh, along with it. Okay? And so God gave him beyond anything that he could possibly imagine. What stirred this man to living a life of continual praise was that he had absolute confidence in the Word of God. He had seen how God had moved in the past. He'd seen how God had moved in his life. He had seen how God had moved in the Scripture. And he had absolute conviction that God was going to continue moving and acting the way that he always had. You see, loving and following God's Word will empower us to stand fast when we're persecuted. It will also help us to stand firm in our fears. Okay? You know, sometimes it's not easy to stand against what the world wants to say to us and what the world wants to say about us. But when we respond in love, when we respond in love because we have allowed our confidence in the Word of God to triumph over our fears, it gives us the courage to stand unafraid before our persecutors. persecutors. And God promises that He will be with us, and so we should not fear what evildoers can do to us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Listen, beloved. If we have Jesus, isn't that enough? It ought to be. We ought to be content with what we have because he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The power of God's word to work in our lives will overrule our stress and enable us to rejoice in the Lord. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4.13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Do you understand what Peter's doing? I mean, he's connecting our joy with the sufferings of Christ. Okay? He is connecting the way that we find joy is by living the way that Jesus lived. It is when we face losing everything that we truly come to realize uh, how rich we are in Christ. We will find the way and the word to respond correctly to persecution if we keep God's word in our heart. How did Jesus tell us to deal with it? Matthew 5. Man, isn't that a verse that that we'd really prefer not be in the Bible? I say to you, 
Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Wow. You know, what was one of the last things that Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them. And so he was living out what he taught them in the Sermon on the Mount on the cross. Praying for those who were persecuting him and loving them with a godly love. See, beloved, we know that we will be able to praise God because we know that he will vindicate us. That he will deal justly with our persecutors. And so we can rejoice in the righteousness of God's word and allow it to fill us with assurance that in God's perfect time, justice will be served and we will be rewarded. James tells us in James 1.12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who who love him. You know, it's pretty easy to be a a, a good Christian in here. It's pretty easy to be a good Christian in here. We don't have any distractions. We don't have the television. We don't have our phones out. We don't have any of that stuff going on. But it's when we find ourselves out in the real world under trial, that we need to have the same confidence and the same conviction in the word that, that, that the psalmist had so that we will be able to persevere under trial. Spurgeon said it this way, Unless we do have deep awe of the word, we shall never have high joy over it. Our rejoicing will be measured by our reverencing. Verses 165 and 166. The love that the psalmist had for the Word of God brought real benefits to his life. See, I'm not up here telling you to do something that I've never experienced. I'm not up here telling you to do something that no one has ever experienced, that that is kind of unproven, untried. I'm telling you, this man is saying, those who love your law have great shalom and nothing causes them to stumble. This man is being viciously persecuted. And yet he's got great peace and stability in his life. In the midst of the storms and tempest of the world, there is a perfect calm in the hearts of those who not only do the will of God, but love to do it. God had given him great peace through the promises and the comfort of his word. And it had given him strength to, under, to, to, to stand, to keep God's precepts, to keep God's testimonies, to live his life as an open book before Almighty God, for all my ways are before you. Notice, The verse doesn't promise peace to those who perfectly keep God's law because no one can can do that. 
It promises peace to those who love God's law. The psalmist is displaying the kind of active faith and trust that saves. He had faith in God and God alone for salvation. Verses 167 and 168. He's closing out this section by giving to us his motivation for keeping God's law, being faithful to God's word, even in spite of great persecution. The first factor dealt with his great love for God's word. Because he loved God's word so passionately, he longed to obey him in all things. And then as we just said, he kept God's law because he was fully aware of God's omniscience, that God knew everything. And being constantly aware that God was watching him stirred him to live righteously. So while God's perfect knowledge motivated the psalmist to keep his law, it also served as a great source of comfort in his own afflictions. He knew that God's omniscience, that God's all-seeing eye was on him. And not only did God know uh, what he was going through, but he also cared for him constantly and looked after him at all times. When we're truly devoted to God and His Word, when we believe His Word and trust Him fully, we will experience the same blessings the psalmist did. We will experience God's unexplainable peace in the midst of life's fiercest storms, which is what he tells us in verse 165. The peace of God will sweep over our troubled souls. On the most horrible night of the disciples, the apostles' life, Look at what Jesus said to him, John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Wait. These guys don't have a clue what's about to happen. They don't know that the hammer is about to drop. They don't know that the reason Judas left was so that he could go get the guys that are going to arrest Jesus. And Jesus knows that he's going to be beaten so thoroughly that his own mother is going to have trouble recognizing him. And then he's going to be nailed to a Roman cross and humiliated by his own creation. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful by what you're going to see happen to me tomorrow. I'm at peace, and I'm giving that same peace to you. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul tells us this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, 
You know, we throw that out there, verse 7, about the peace of God that surpasses all uh, understanding is going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we very frequently don't get there through how Paul tells us to get there by rejoicing always in all situations, being a gentle spirit because the Lord is near, being anxious for nothing and praying about everything and giving thanks to God for everything that comes into our life. And then and only then will we have the peace that passes all understanding. We will not worry. We will not despair. We will wait with full confidence for God to do all that He has promised. Romans 15, 13. Romans. Did I skip one? Okay. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, beloved, we can't do this on our own. We can't get this peace. We can't get this joy. We can't get this hope on our own. But the Word of God brings it to us as we allow the Holy Spirit to apply that to our lives. And as we do that, we know the satisfaction of obeying God. And we know that that will surpass all of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Loving God's Word will deepen our love for Him and knowing that we are pleasing Him will fill us with joy unparalleled by anything on this world. Jesus said it simply. Now the John quote. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, He said, keep my commandments. Do what I told you to do. And finally, we will walk through life's fiery trials knowing that God's all-seeing eye is on us and that His unfailing presence is with us. And it will stir our hearts to remain faithful to Him. John 10, 14, Jesus said it this way, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. I know my own, and my own know me. And that, beloved, is how we have conviction and stand firm in the Word of God. Will we have conviction in the Word of God?